Good morning and welcome to Christ Central Online. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, thank you for joining us today. And for those of you who are in the room today for the in-person service, so good to see you. Thank you for being here. And I really can't wait until the day when our church as a whole can gather together safely to worship together without any restrictions. Now I know that worshiping God is hard these days, right? Whether you're at home in your PJs or you're here in your masks, but no matter what, our God and our Savior deserves our worship. Amen? And so, even though it's inconvenient and frustrating, even though it's not what we're used to, even though it's not what we prefer, let's do our very best to give God our very best worship because God deserves it and also because our souls need to worship God. We need to worship God because we need to behold the face of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And so worshiping God is not an option during these times. It's something that we need to be vitally committed to. Well, we're currently in a sermon series called um, Following Jesus Through the Book of Luke. And the goal for this series is simply for us to follow Jesus around as he moves through the book of Luke. We're going to watch what he does, and we're going to listen to what he says. And as we watch his actions, and as we listen to his teachings, my prayer is that we would find Jesus not only beautiful and compelling, but that we would also gain more certainty and assurance of the things that we've been taught and believe as Christians, that Jesus really is the Son of God the Savior of the world. And as we follow Jesus through Luke, may the Holy Spirit teach and empower us to follow Jesus through life. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 21. And today we're going to read the story of the birth of Jesus. Now, last week, uh, we read the story of the birth of John, who was the forerunner and the preparer for Jesus. But today, we're going to read about the birth of Jesus. So, people of God, this is the word of our God. Would you please give it your careful attention? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom 
he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Now, if you have grown up in the church, then you have probably heard a Christmas sermon or two or three or four on this text. This really is the classic text for Christmas sermons. Now, I know it's not Christmas yet, but we're going to study this text because we're working our way through the book of Luke from the beginning to the end. And besides, the birth of Jesus is not something that we're only allowed to consider at Christmas time. Right? The birth of Jesus is an essential part of the gospel story, and therefore it is good for us to meditate on the birth of Jesus no matter what time of the year it is, even during the summertime. And so we're going to do that today. Our text today can be divided into three, three parts. First, the birth of Jesus. Second, the announcement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds. And third, the response of the shepherds. First, let's consider the birth of Jesus. In verse 1, Luke tells us that a decree went out from Caesar, Augustus, that all the world should be registered. Now, obviously, Caesar Augustus could not order the whole world to be registered, only the countries that were under Roman domination and rule had to obey this decree. And because Israel was under Roman domination and rule, every Jew had to be registered in his hometown. Now, the registration was for taxation purposes so that Rome could know exactly how much to tax every region and every country that they ruled over. So the birth of Jesus is set in the context of Roman history during the reign of Caesar Augustus. What we're reading here, folks, is not fiction, it's not fable, it's not a fairy tale or a legend. We are reading real history. We can look this up in history books. Caesar Augustus was a real historical person, and Jesus was a real historical person who was born when Caesar Augustus was in power. And because of Caesar Augustus's decree, Joseph and Mary were forced to make a very long and a very hard trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem because Joseph was originally from uh, Bethlehem, the city of David. Now, Bethlehem is about 80 miles from Nazareth. Now, to us, that doesn't seem like a very long distance. It's something that we can uh, make in two hours in our comfortable air-conditioned cars. But 80 miles is a long and a hard trip if you're going to make by foot especially with a pregnant wife. Now, Mary probably rode on a donkey, and Joseph probably walked beside her, 
And because Mary was pregnant, they probably moved very slowly. So Bible commentators think that this journey, this trip, would have taken well over a week. Now, no matter how many days this took, whether it was five days or nine days, the trip itself was an unwanted and an inconvenient hardship that Joseph and Mary had to endure. Now, think about this. Joseph would never have voluntarily chosen to make this trip with his pregnant wife. So why did Joseph and Mary have to endure this inconvenience and this hardship? Well, on one level, it was because of Caesar's decree, because Caesar decreed it. But on another level, on a secondary, deeper, and more important level, it was because of God's decree. You see, long before Caesar's decree, long before Caesar was even born, there was God's decree. From eternity past, God in his wisdom and love decreed that his son, the Messiah, would be born in the city of Bethlehem. And God revealed that decree through his prophet Micah. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, God said this, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. So ultimately, it was not by Caesar's decree, but it was by God's decree that Joseph and Mary had to endure the hardship of traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem because God's promise had to be fulfilled, because God's Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. Now, sometimes the decisions and the actions of other people will bring unwanted inconveniences and even hardship and suffering into our lives. We may have done nothing, and through no fault of our own, but because of what someone else does or because of someone else's decisions and actions, our lives will get more complicated and more difficult. Now, we've all experienced that, haven't we? Especially if you're parents. Oftentimes, complications are brought into your lives because of the choices of your children. But as Christians, we can be comforted by this. God controls all things, even the decisions and the actions of other people that can cause inconvenience, hardship, and suffering to come into our lives. For Joseph and Mary, it must have seemed so random, so unnecessary, so inconvenient, and so frustrating that they would have to make this long and hard trip to Bethlehem, especially when Mary was pregnant. Joseph is probably thinking, why now when my wife is pregnant? Joseph probably thought this was the worst timing. But little did Joseph and Mary know that the timing was actually perfect because God was working out his infinitely wise, sovereign, and loving plan according to his timeline. Joseph and Mary didn't know it while they were traveling for 80 miles but God was in control the whole time, the entire way. Friends, no matter what inconvenience or hardship you are going through because of someone else's decisions and actions, remember this. God is ultimately in control. He has always been in control, and he is in control right now, even though your life is hard and difficult. 
God is working out his good purposes even if you can't see what those purposes are yet. So no matter what trouble or hardship that has been brought into your life because of someone else, you can trust God because God is doing things that will ultimately serve his glory and your good. You know, in a couple of months, our nation will elect our next president, and a lot of people are, are anxious, right? The people on the left are anxious, and the people on the right are anxious. Everyone is anxious about who the next president will be. Now, no matter who our next president will be, whether it's uh, Donald Trump again, or Joe Biden, or someone else, there will be challenges to our lives as Christians. There will be challenges to the church. Trump and Biden are two very different candidates, and they will bring two very different set of challenges to the church when they assume office. But both men will bring challenges to the church. But as Christians, we can rest assured in this. Though presidents may act, though presidents may give executive orders, but it is our God who is sovereignly controlling all things, and God is working out his good purposes at all times, even if it means trouble and hardship may come into our lives. J.C. Ryle, an English uh, and Anglican pastor, said this, the heart of a believer should take comfort in the recollection of God's providential government of the world. A true Christian should never be greatly moved or disturbed by the conduct of the rulers of the earth, he should see with the eye of faith a hand overruling all that they do to the praise and glory of God. He should regard every king and potentate and president, an Augustus, a Cyrenius, a Darius, a Cyrus, a Sennacherib, as a creature who with all his power can do nothing but what God allows and nothing which is not carrying out God's will. Amen? Amen. So, because of God's decree, not Caesar's decree, but because of God's decree, Mary had to be in Bethlehem when she gave birth to her son because God's promise had to be fulfilled. Now, in verse 7, we're told that Mary gave birth to her son and that she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. I think... Because we have heard this story so often, I think we miss how sad and how humiliating the birth of Jesus really was. First of all, Mary was all alone when she gave birth. She was away from her family. I don't know if you caught this, but Mary wrapped her baby in swaddling cloths. Do you realize how sad that is? That's something that her mother or sister should have done for her if they were there. But because Mary was all alone, without family, without her mom, without her sister, without any close relatives, she herself had to wrap her baby in swaddling cloths. You know what that's like? That's like a mom who just gave birth to a baby and then having to wash and bathe her baby because there was no nurse to help her to do that for her. How many moms have done that? Never. That's something that someone else helps you to do. Second, Jesus was born in awful conditions. 
Because there was no room for them in the inn, Mary had to deliver her baby in a dirty and smelly barn surrounded by animals. And then she had to lay her baby in an animal feeding box because there was no clean or comfortable, comfortable bed for her to lay her baby in. Now, if you're a mom, can you imagine doing that? I bet you would have cried if you had to put your baby in a manger. You see, everything about Jesus' birth was humiliating. Uh, there was nothing sentimental, nothing heartwarming, nothing beautiful about Jesus' birth, the way we have some of our nativity scenes uh, seem to imply. Like on those uh, cute Christmas cards, right? Where everyone's happy and everyone looks clean. It was nothing like that. It was all very sad and very humiliating. Now, theologians talk about what they call the two states of Christ, the humiliation of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. The humiliation of Christ began at his birth, and it went all the way to his suffering and death on the cross. And then the exaltation of Christ began at his resurrection, continued to his ascension into heaven, and it will culminate at his return in glory and power. But from his birth, from the moment that he was born, Jesus experienced humiliation. Jesus was not born in a luxurious palace surrounded by doctors and nurses. He was born in a dirty, smelly barn surrounded by animals. And because of his great love for us, Jesus was willing to be humiliated from his humiliating birth to his humiliating death so that we who were humiliated in our sins might be raised with him in glory. Everything that Jesus suffered, beginning from his humiliating death, he did for us and for our salvation. So great is the love of Christ for us. J.C. Ryle said this again, one of my favorite authors. He said this, we see here the grace and condescension of Christ. Had he come to save mankind with royal majesty, surrounded by his father's angels, it would have been an act of undeserved mercy. Had he chosen to dwell in a palace with power and great authority, we should have had reason enough to wonder. But listen to this. But to become poor as the very poorest of mankind and lowly as the very lowliest, this is a love that passes knowledge. It is unspeakable and unsearchable. Never let us forget that through this humiliation, Jesus has purchased for us a title to glory. Through his life of suffering as well as his death, he has obtained eternal redemption for us. All through his life, he was poor for our sakes from the hour of his birth to the hour of his death. And through his poverty, we are made rich. Amen. So in verses 1 to 7, we have the birth of Jesus. Next, in verses 8 to, uh, uh, 8 to 14, we have the announcement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds. Now, first of all, we need to notice who God chose to be the first recipient of the good news of the Savior's birth. God didn't choose important and powerful people like kings and rulers. He didn't choose Caesar Augustus or Pontius Pilate, though he could have. God didn't choose the religious leaders. He didn't choose the priests like, like Zechariah. He didn't uh, choose Pharisees or, or the scribes. 
Who did God choose? God chose nobodies. God chose shepherds to be the first recipients of the good news of the Savior's birth. As Director Heidi taught us, shepherds were nobodies in Jewish society. They were disdained and distrusted. They were regarded as thieves. The common phrase went, uh, thieves, uh, shepherds, got the mine and the thine confused. Whatever was yours was mine. In fact, uh, uh, shepherds were not allowed to be legal witnesses in court because their words meant nothing. Only lepers were considered lower than shepherds in Jewish culture at that time. But God did not send his angels to announce the good news of the Savior's birth to holy priests in the temple, but to dirty shepherds out in the field. So from the very beginning of his gospel, Luke is telling us the kind of people that Jesus came to save. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to save the dirty and the disdained, the lowly and the humble, the marginalized and the overlooked. The good news of Jesus' birth was given to shepherds because Jesus himself would be the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. Let me ask you something. Do you feel small and insignificant? Do you feel unseen and overlooked? Do you feel weak and foolish? Maybe the world doesn't notice you because uh, you're not rich or beautiful or powerful or successful. Maybe you feel unseen, even invisible, and maybe you feel unloved. But today, dear Christian, I want to remind you of this, that God sees you, and that God loves you, and that you are precious in the eyes of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and following says this, For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Dear child of God, if God sees you and loves you, if God has chosen you, who cares if the world chooses you or not? You are the apple of God's eye, and the eyes of God are the only eyes that truly and ultimately matter. You see, you don't have to be great in the eyes of the world because in Christ, you're already great in the eyes of God. So who cares if the eyes of men and women don't notice you when the eyes of God are fixed upon you with fatherly love and delight? May the love of your faithful God mean more to your heart than the love of fickle people. Amen. Because his love never fails. In verse 10, the angel announced to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The news of a Savior is only good news of a great joy to the humble. Let me say that again. 
the news of a Savior is only good news for great joy only to the humble, to those who know their sin, and to those who know that they need to be saved. You see, to all who know that they have sinned, and to all who know what they deserve from a holy God is judgment and condemnation, to all those who know that they can never save themselves, to all those who feel the weight and the guilt of their sin on their conscience, to all those who are frustrated with their daily losing battle and struggle to sin, the news of a Savior is good news. In fact, it is the best news. It is news that brings great joy. The Apostle Paul said this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the worst of all. You see, the more that you're convinced that you're a sinner, the more you will rejoice over your Savior. The more that you're convinced that what you deserve for your sins is the judgment of God, the more you will love the one who rescues you from that judgment. You see, a Christian is someone who loves Jesus who rejoices over Jesus because he knows, she knows that it was Jesus who saved him or her from her sins. That's why we love Jesus, because he first loved us and gave his life for us as our Savior. And verse 13 tells us that suddenly a multitude of angels appeared, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, millions of angels appeared that night, right? Filling the night sky from horizon to horizon. Now, I imagine every single angel in heaven was there that day. Not a single angel was going to miss the, the birth of Jesus Christ. So every angel, millions of angels were there that night. And the singing that night must have been thunderous. This was by far the largest and the loudest choir in human history. And they sang, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let me say that again. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Do you know where true, deep, abiding peace comes from? It doesn't come from having a lot of money in the bank. It doesn't come from having everything work out in life. It doesn't come from being married or from having kids or from being healthy or from being successful. True, deep, abiding peace does not come from any of those, any of those kinds of things. It comes from knowing that God is pleased with you. True peace comes from knowing that God is pleased with you. But how can sinners who deserve the displeasure of God have the pleasure of God? How can we know that God is pleased with us? Well, Luke will tell us later in his book, but let me give you a preview. He will tell us that we can have peace with God as we put our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. You see, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus, we are united to Jesus. We become one with Jesus. And that means that everything that belongs to Jesus, he now freely shares with us. And next week, we're going to hear something when Jesus gets baptized. God the Father is going to say, with you, I am well pleased. 
And friends, if we are united to Jesus, those words are spoken over us as well. Friends, this is the gospel. God is pleased with you, not because you're so good, not because you haven't sinned. God is pleased with you because you are united to a son by faith. Because God is pleased with Jesus. He is not pleased with you because you're one with Jesus. And when you have the pleasure of God, you have peace, unspeakable, abiding, everlasting peace. Friends, when we know that God, our maker, is pleased with us, that is when our hearts can truly be at rest and at peace. Nothing gives peace like the pleasure of God. Let me say that again. Nothing gives peace like the pleasure of God. When you hear God saying over you, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I am pleased with you. That gives true and abiding peace. So in verses 8 to 14, we have the announcement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds. Lastly, in verses 15 to 21, we have the response of the shepherds to that announcement, don't we? So what did the shepherds do? How did they respond? Well, they went right away to Bethlehem to see the Savior that had been born. And when they got there, they found the baby, just as the angel said, lying in a manger. And the shepherds did two things. They testified and they worshiped. First, they testified about Jesus. In verse 17, we're told that they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now think about these. These shepherds who are not even allowed to testify in court are now testifying about Jesus Christ. Though the world said that they were untrustworthy, yet God in his grace entrusted to them the message of the Savior's birth. They were the first witnesses and the first, evangel uh, the first evangelists of the Savior's birth. They spoke about Jesus. And second, and just as importantly, they worshiped God. In verse 20 it says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You see, friends, the shepherds didn't just testify about the Savior. They also worshiped the God who sent the Savior. They worshiped and praised God for the baby in the manger because that baby was the Savior of the world who would one day save sinners through his death and resurrection. So we see the shepherds responding by doing two things, by testifying about Jesus and by worshiping God. So what? What's the takeaway for us today? Well, as we read Luke's book, you can almost ask, you can almost sense Luke posing a question to us as we're reading about these shepherds. Luke is asking us, how will you respond? Will you respond like, this, like the shepherds in this story? Will you go and testify about Jesus like these shepherds did? Will you go and worship and praise and thank God for sending the Savior like these shepherds did? You see, the shepherds in our story give us insight into what it means to follow Jesus. The shepherds show us that following Jesus involves testifying about Jesus and worshiping Jesus. You see, friends, being a witness of Jesus and a worshiper of Jesus go together hand in hand. 
It is when you love and enjoy Jesus as a worshiper that you will become a powerful and effective witness for Jesus. The power for witness comes from worship. Let me say that again. The power for witness comes from worship. The deeper your worship is, the more powerful your witness will be. And verse 21 says, He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The name Jesus means God saves. The meaning of Jesus' name explains the purpose for why he came. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Today, if you're watching this, and if you're not a Christian, first of all, thank you for tuning in and for watching. But let me speak to you directly for a minute. If you know that you're lost, if you know that you need saving, if you know that you need forgiveness, mercy, and grace, if you want to have peace with God today, I would encourage you, I would enjoin you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. He will save you. Not only will he save you, but he will give you the Holy Spirit. To, to change you and to empower you to follow him. And once you believe in Jesus, you can follow Jesus. And, follow, and in following Jesus, you will experience a peace that surpasses understanding, a peace that only God can give. Now, that doesn't mean that your life will become easy or, or that all of your problems will magically go, go away. It doesn't mean that at all. Life will still be hard. But it does mean this, that God will be with you in your trials and troubles. And his love will never let you go, no matter how hard life gets. The gospel means that God will be with you and for you, no matter what you go through, and he will one day bring you safely home to be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Today, if you're not a Christian, please consider becoming one. And you become a Christian simply by believing and trusting in Jesus the Son of God, and the Savior of sinners. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to be our Savior. And because of what Jesus has done for us, and because we are now united to your Son by faith, you are pleased with us. And when we know that you're pleased with us, you're no longer angry at us, but you're pleased with us, our hearts can experience the true and everlasting peace that we've been searching for our whole lives. Father, I pray for anyone that's listening to my voice today that does not yet trust in your Son as their Savior, would you, by your Holy Spirit, enable them to believe and give them a peace that only you can give. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's rise as we respond to the message.